today we continue our series entitled, I don't need, no, no, you're good, you go ahead, there you go, all right, Ride for the Brand, uh, we are talking about how do we live up to that calling, uh, that Ride for the Brand, a Western illustration, um, if you work for a ranch in, in one of those old Western towns or one of the new Western towns, that brand out there is um, the mark of where you belong. It, belo- it gives you a sense of um, belonging ship, if you will. And so I suggested that we'll use that as our backdrop for this series as we move to the Old Westament. And we once again go uh, into some stories that you might be familiar with. But as we look at them, we're going to talk about how we live up to that high calling that God has for us. And so last week we shared with you a brand. This week we'll share with you another brand. And we're talking about um, some very real characters, and we're using along the way too some um, cowboys that you might be familiar with from the media that uh, uh, might uh, might kind of spark your thinking just a little bit. So we'll do all that here in just a second. We're going to Exodus 18 in just a couple of moments. We're going to talk about honesty and integrity, uh, the Longmire legacy. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, I want to call your attention to something that you may have heard in the announcement loop, and if you did not. I want to mention it. This series wraps up on the 8th of October with a day called Rodeo Day. Now, from what I understand, there's never been a rodeo here in Winter Springs. So this will be the first Rodeo Day. I can tell you the church at 434 has never had a Rodeo Day. And so on that day, we will have our worship services, Sunrise Bible Study, but also Wrapped around that, we have some other events that are taking place that all of you get the opportunity to participate in. Now, what I need you to do that day is come in your Western finest. You cowboys and cowgirls come dressed in your cowboy cowgirl outfits and show up and get ready to play that day. We're going to have a mechanical bull on site um, for everyone to use. We're going to have barrel racing here that day. You need to come and see what that's going to look like. And you'll all just do some roping. You'll get to rope some steers that day. And so all of that's happening as part of Rodeo Day, the stuff of rodeos on the 8th. The following week, Ken Smith will be with us for an event called Primetime. And we're, he's going to have the morning worship service, sunrise Bible study, and then the 1115 service, this service. And he'll be leading us and reminding us that where we are right now as individuals and as a church is exactly the place and the moment that God has for us. It is his time. It is prime time. And it's time to become and do and get serious about being who God wants us to be. And so Ken will be leading us on that Sunday. And so that's coming up here in the next couple of weeks as we kind of wrap up this, this, this cowboy series. Um, and so today we're going to talk about honesty and integrity, the Longmire legacy. As we begin, I want to tell you a story about two cowboys who've been out in the desert way too long. The old boys were moving across the desert, and they had gotten to the point where they were really afraid they were going to die. And they were starting to see things, and they couldn't really trust what they were seeing. They were mirages, if you will, they were out there in the, in the desert, and, and as they were seeing things, they were, they were having trouble, and they were kind of using each other to make sure that what they were seeing was real. They were thirsty, they were hungry, they knew it was getting close to the end, and off in the distance they saw it. And one looked at the other and said, do you see that? And the cowboy said, yeah, I see it. Do you see it? And what they saw was something that rarely is seen in the Old West. It was a bacon tree. Tree with branches, with bacon strips just 
hanging from it. We're talking, you know, full pig here. I mean, it was awesome. And, and, and so not believing it, but knowing that this could be salvation for them because they were starving to death, they began making their way toward that bacon tree. And they both came up to it and they stood under the shade of that bacon as it blew above their head. And they reached up and they took down a strip of crispy bacon and they put it to their mouth. And two gunshots rang out and they were both killed. Because it wasn't a bacon tree at all. <laughs> it was a ham bush. Was it worth coming back for? <laughs> I, it was, uh, I'll, I'll be here all week. Uh, Available for any, any kind of conferences you want to book. I'm there. I'm there. Um, I'm there for you. Hambush. Get it? Get that. Yeah. Richard will explain that to you if you have any trouble with it. I explained it to him after worship. And then. <laughs> anyway. All right. Today we begin by looking at um, honesty and integrity. Both are very important. Matter of fact, if you've ever watched the Longmire series. Anybody ever watched Longmire on Netflix? Okay. You've seen this sign. This sign is an important part of the series. Uh, if you don't know, Longmire is a character that was created by Craig Johnson. The series opened with this sign being placed on the roadside. Seven seasons later, the series ended with this sign being placed along the roadside. I will say for a television series that ran seven years, Longmire ended and began and put it all together, and they tied it all up, and it was nicely done. People say, well, that would be a Longmire movie. Probably not. Um, they really did wrap it up. Now, the beauty about this series, though, if you've ever watched it, is it began on A&E. And so it was on network television. C- cable, but network television. It got canceled. And so when Netflix was looking for quality programming, what they did is they bought the rights to the show, and they bought the whole cast. And so all of a sudden, Longmire went from being an hour-long show to a mini-movie for the last four seasons, and all of a sudden, because it was a streaming series, it got a little bit grittier, got a little bit tougher, Uh, and it became just an amazing series to watch. Star of it, Walt Longmire, Sheriff, and he was the centerpiece of the series, and all of the characters revolved around him. The Longmire gig was a good gig. Robert Taylor was the actor that played it, so they took an Australian actor, dressed him up like a cowboy, shot the series in Nevada, but it was set in Wyoming in a place called Absaroka County. So, I mean, it, it's only the magic of television, right? Uh, but it was an amazing series for him because he was big and he was tough and he didn't say a lot. I mean, he wasn't loaded with lines. He never had to work real hard to memorize his lines. He just didn't have that much dialogue. But when he did, it was really important and it was very quotable. And it was full of a lot of wisdom and a lot of thought and a lot of insight. And so... That becomes our backdrop today because we're going to talk about honesty and integrity and how important it is. Uh, The word integrity, by the way, means wholeness or consistency. A person with integrity is consistent in what he says and what they do. It it fleshes out in a number of ways. I mean, for example, back in the day when people used to get newspapers, there was an integrity to the fact that you could hopefully have a newspaper on your doorstep or on your driveway every morning around the same time, simply because they said they would deliver it and it was done. They did it with integrity, it was there. 
If you go to a restaurant and they advertise the fact that they're going to serve you quality food and they're going to serve it fast, that means that no matter how busy they are on any given day, the food will be good and it will get there in a timely way. It's what they said. It's what they delivered on. It's what they did. Um, a mechanic with integrity tells you what he thinks, how much it's going to take to fix it, how long it's going to take to fix it, and he gets really close to that. If you trust your mechanic, you know that you want one with integrity that's honest. That's what it means. If you're trying to find a way to define it or really understand it, integrity means that there's no gap in your life between the way things are and the way things should be. No gap between the way things are and the way things should be. And the fact is that a lot of us, well, we struggle with this because we live in a world where that kind of honesty and integrity is not, not common anymore. And the reality for us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is this ought to be the characteristic of your life, honesty and integrity. I mean, that ought to be default words that people use about you. And if you're really going to be a follower of Christ, it's really important because you cannot be a transformed follower of Christ until you get to the moment where the first step in that is you have to be honest with yourself and honest with God. See, you're never going to change unless you're honest about what it needs to change. You're never going to come to know Christ unless you're honest about the fact that you're a sinner and you need to be saved. If you don't need God, you don't need Him. And you can believe that as long as you want. And you can take your chances when you stand before Him one day and try to explain that to Him. And so for us as followers, honesty really is that first step of growth. When you're honest, then that leads to integrity. So integrity is built upon that honesty that you have. You're honest with yourself, you're honest with God, you're honest about what you're going to do, what you're going to say, what you're going to become. All of a sudden, that integrity begins to emerge. It doesn't mean you're perfect. People with integrity are not perfect at all. But people with integrity are the people that have very little gap between the way things are and the way things should be. That's honesty and that's integrity. And so today we go once again back to the pages of the Old Testament, as we said last week. Well, we're going to be for this entire series, and we go back to one of the heroes of the Old Testament, and we all call him Big Mo. You probably know him better as Moses. You might remember him from a film you might have seen along the way. But we're going to talk about Moses for a little bit, but we're going to hit um, a part of his life that often gets overlooked, but I think screams volumes for him, but for us, as we strive to be this person that God has created us to be, as we try to live our lives with honesty and integrity, and what kind of brand emerges from that, and what can we define in this life. And so let me set this up for you, and then I'm going to jump into the passage with a, uh, just kind of hit from verse to verse a little bit and explain some things to you. Um, but Moses married, if you go back and look at his life, into a family of a different religion. Matter of fact, Moses found himself uh, in an especially challenging situation because not only did the family that he married into worship a God that was not the God of the Hebrews, but he worshiped he got married into a family where his father-in-law was a priest of this other religion. 
Jethro, his father-in-law, is one of the priests of Midian. Now we don't know a lot about the Midianites, but we know that they did not worship Yahweh. They did not worship the God of the Hebrews. And so for Moses, we know Moses' story, right? Moses is a prince of Egypt for 40 years. He kills the guy, he goes on the run. Gets out to the desert, meets his wife, they get married, and he lives among the Midianite people out there. But he is, and he knows, that he's Hebrew. He's a Jew. But he marries into a family where his family and his father-in-law they come from a background where they are really, and it is a pagan religion. And that's where Moses spends the next 40 years of his life. Now you have to know that to understand what happens next in this particular snapshot of Big Mo's life. Because after the Israelites had passed through the Red Sea and God had defeated Pharaoh's army, Moses decides to send his wife and his kids back to live with his father-in-law for a short time. A lot of reasons for this, a lot of things that were going on here to do that, but they're on the run, but he sends them back there. One, because he's leading millions of people. Two, because there was a little bit of a safety net there, and he's very familiar with that territory while he's navigating the desert and the wilderness with this crowd. And he wants to know that they're cared for, and so he sends them into a place. Now, again, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but that was a huge deal. Now before we go on though, remember why we're doing this. We talked about uh, the stories and the facts of the Old West and how many of the facts of the Old West have become legendaries. And when the facts get fuzzy, you always tell it about the legend. And your life is supposed to be legendary. See the fact of the matter is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has saved you and he's called you to so much more than you already are and the difference that he wants to use you to make is for an eternity. That's legendary. And so you're to live a life, no matter who you are, that is legendary. That's who God's created you to be. And so against that Western backdrop, we look at these characteristics of these heroes of the faith or these stories of faith to determine what it is that we need to do. Last week we looked at the DSD brand where we talked about direction. We talked about sacrifice. We talked about the difficulties that will come as we try to follow. And so today we're going for another brand. It is the Triple R brand, if you will. If you have a worship flyer, you can see that. I understand we've run out of worship flyers, so if not, it's going to pop up on the screen. Or if you have the church app, you can open it up and the outline is there. You can follow along there. You can actually take notes on the app if you want to. That is our setting this morning. And I want three R's that you need to see. Um, and I could say R, but that would make it a pirate series. And it's uh, really a Western series, so we'll stick with the uh, West. The first thing I want you to see... I want you to see a respectful connection, a respectful connection. In the Longmire television show, there are two lead characters that really are the anchor characters. It's Walt Longmire, who is the sheriff of Ab- Absaroka County, but then there is Henry Standing Bear. Henry Standing Bear is the consciousness, if you will, of the Indian Reservation. He owns a bar in town, Red Pony. Uh, but he's also Walt's childhood best friend. And that best friend relationship has carried them, and, and they build on that through the entire series. And they are best friends. They, are tr- they trust each other tremendously. Standing Bear has great credibility and great credentials there on the Indian Reservation. 
Longmire, of course, as sheriff, as an elected official, is the one that's in charge of trying to kind of keep things moving. And yet that line sometimes between the reservation and Absaroka County gets a little blurry. And when it does, that's where a lot of the action takes place in the series. Longmire is very quotable. And he says, no matter how far off track we've gotten, it's never too late to find our way back. That's biblical, by the way. No matter how far off track you've gotten, it's never too far or too long to find your way back. In our lives, we need to remember that. Because where you are right now, you might be thinking, well, I can't, I'm not living a legendary life. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Because wherever you are right now is where you start from. And one of the things that you have to do to start is you make the respectful connections. When someone joins a cult, I, I don't know if you've ever studied this, but when someone joins a cult, the first thing that happens is that the cult isolates them. The cult will try to isolate them from family and friends and people they know and, and kind of indoctrinate them into the beliefs uh, that the cult revolves around. And if someone gets trapped in a cult and sometimes the families don't no longer have access. Christianity is just the opposite. Christianity is all about connection. What happens when you come to know Christ? The first thing that happens when you come to know Christ is you want to share with others what you've done. The first thing that the church encourages you to do when you come to know Christ is to share with your family and friends the decision you've made. And if you ever want to know the difference or the healthiness of of a religion, look at what it does. A cult is all about isolation. Christianity and following God is all about connection. And you were created to connect. And this is what Moses did. If you look at verse 2 of the passage, it says this, after Moses sent away his wife Zipporah and his father-in-law, or after, his wife, after he sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. And I mentioned this a minute ago. Moses sends his wife and kids, sons, back to um, his father-in-law to watch over and take care of them so he didn't have to worry about them. He knew they would be cared for, knew they were loved, knew they were safe. But he also knew this. For Moses, he is now a man who is listening to God and following God. God is speaking to him. God has called him to lead his people and be the deliverer out of Egypt. Now, I don't know if the story, you've ever slowed up in the story enough to think about this, but what Moses is actually doing this moment, though, as a follower of God... He is sending his family back to live with a father-in-law who is a priest of another religion that doesn't worship God. That's huge. He's literally making the decision to send his family, the ones he loves, back into an environment where they're not going to be focused on the God that he's now following. He is now the point guy, the spokesman for God Almighty. And yet he sends his family back to live with this Midian priest. How does he do that? I mean, you, you want to protect your family, right? You have kids, you want to put those kids in the best environment? What's going on? And here's where the story, to me, becomes wildly interesting. And we blow past these verses so fast, we don't think about them a lot. But Moses did that, and he did that with confidence. One, he was confident that Jethro loved his daughter and his grandchildren. He was confident of that. But he's also incredibly confident that his family understood and had seen in him the God they were following. 
In other words, he knew and was confident that what he had told his sons, what he had poured into his sons, were going to be okay, even when he got into an environment where they were going to worship differently. He knew that Zipporah wasn't going to be just drawn back into this pagan way. He was confident that she would be loved and she would be cared for. And he knew that what they had experienced, what they had seen, what they had heard from him, what he had modeled for them was going to be all right. That's wildly important. Is there any parents in the room? I want to speak a word to you this morning. I want to tell you this, and I want to tell you this from the bottom of my heart. Parenting is like riding a roller coaster. Gosh, in one moment, it is completely terrifying. In other moments, it's incredibly thrilling. And you have to understand that there is no way to be a perfect parent. There's only been one perfect parent, and his name was God. And he had two kids, and they both screwed up. So here's what you've got to understand. If God's kids screwed up, your kids never had a chance. But cut yourself some slack on that, all right? Because here's the other thing I know about parenting. There is no such thing as a perfect parent. There's no way that you will ever be a perfect parent. You cannot become a perfect parent. But there are a million ways that you can be a good parent. And so if you can't be perfect, at least be good. And that's something that we all should have strived for. And the other thing that I've discovered about parenting, and this is where Moses, I'm sure, had to have that moment, is it's one thing to show your child the way. But it's much more difficult to get out of the way and let them live life and make choices. See, Moses knew what Solomon was going to say later. Train up a child and ways you go. The way of the Lord, and when he gets older, he won't depart from it. And that's a proverb, not a promise, but it's a good life principle. And you do the best that you can. And I think that most parents I know have done the best that they could, but they beat themselves up sometimes when their kids just make bad choices. Here's what I want you to know about your children. And I don't, I don't even know all your children, but here's what I know about them. They're going to screw up. And if you're a parent, your kids will disappoint you from time to time. But you'll still love them. And you're going to trust that you did the best that you possibly could. And you know what? You did. Because you learn to parent in real time. And so kids, if you're in the house and you're listening to me this morning, be a good kid. Do what your parents tell you. They're not doing it to pick on you. They're not doing it to make you angry. They're not doing it to ruin your life or cause you to roll your eyes. They're doing it because they're a little bit older, or some cases a lot bit older, and wiser. In some cases a lot wiser. And they want to pour into you what it takes to be successful. Moses understood that. He let his kids go. For a time. For a time. And while that's not the main point, and it sounds like a rabbit hole, it's really not. Because if you've ever been in the struggle of, did I do it right and did I mess up? And, and, and you know, here's the deal. <laughs> Your kids have to own their choices, and as a parent, you've done all you can. But none of your children, if you're a parent in the room, are going to get into heaven on your gasoline. They just can't. When they stand before God, they're going to stand before God for their own choices. Your job is to equip them to make the best choices possible and deal with God. 
You had to. You're here. You did good. And they can't get to heaven on gasoline, which is a whole different story about why we ought to talk about electric cars. But we're not doing that today because you can't get to heaven on an electric car either. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but let's come back and see what happened. Verse 7. So Moses hears that they're coming back. So Moses went out to greet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they greeted each other and they went into the tent. Um, I know that that's a cultural thing. And I know that sometimes that doesn't always happen. Now I know, for example, because Tommy's Richard's father-in-law, he'll bow down before Tommy and kiss him when he sees him, right? Okay, that doesn't happen. All right, I just want to make sure. I'm not necessarily suggesting that's the best thing to do in this world today, but what it is for them is a sign of respect. And so, uh, you know, uh, even though Richard often claims to be from the tribe of Israel, apparently, no. And anyway, um, he, uh, but Moses, he, Moses does it right. And Moses treated his father-in-law with respect. There is a connection that is there, and it's also respectful. And as he does that, he does that knowing, though, that as his father-in-law comes back, he's going to have to deal with a father-in-law who does not have the same belief system he does. Now, Moses has his hands full, by the way, as a leader. I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you ever want a job, that, if there's never a job you don't want, it's Moses' job. Okay? Uh, getting these people to follow him, they're whiners, they're gripers, they're complainers, uh, and they're going, and it's, 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 a, it's a tough place to be. So Moses is his hands full anyway. Now he's got his following come back, but he takes the time and he goes out and he greets him, and, and he bows down before him, and he treats him with the respect that he deserves, um, even though he knows they don't see eye to eye. And that becomes essential for the story because of the connection that they have. He is showing respect. And respect involves consideration, it involves courtesy and class. Consideration means that you make an effort not to impose or take advantage of others. Courtesy means that you make an effort to be polite and you have good manners. I mean, kindness and courtesy is kind of a low bar of human existence, isn't it? I mean, if you can't be courteous, you can't be much. I mean, this is kind of no-brainer stuff. You can at least be nice. And class means that you conduct yourself and you act towards somebody else with a sense of refinement and dignity because they're watching. They're seeing what you do. And then, then you're in a position to deal with the truth. And sometimes the truth comes at a high cost, but it's worth fighting for. So showing respect means that you still speak truth, but truth is truth, and you do so with finesse. You earn the right to be heard. You have the ability then to speak because you have done a good job on making that respectful connection. See, one of the reasons that we have trouble sharing our faith sometimes, is that we're not respectful with the people we're trying to connect with. And as a result, they don't hear us. Why would they ever listen to you? See, there's nothing that God's done for you that gives you the God-ordained right to tell them or to beat somebody up with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which sounds crazy, right? That's not what we're supposed to do. But the connection that we have and sometimes it's tough because families can be tough. Moses is a great example of that. Is that we deal with one another and you figure out how to deal with one another in a way that is respectful, that has honesty and has integrity because there's a moment when other things begin to fall into place and you just trust that God's going to do his work. The second thing though, is not only do you have to have that respectful connection, you also have to report consistently. You have to report consistently. So that report consistently becomes the second R. 
In the Longmire show, a lot of the scenes involve um, Longmire's deputy, Vic Moretti is her name. She is from Philadelphia, um, not from the Old West at all. And so at one point, they are sitting uh, in their Jeep, and they're getting ready to make a move and start doing what they're supposed to do. And so she looks over at Walt and says, Walt, what you doing? And he makes a bold statement. He says, I'm thinking. I do that sometimes before I talk. That is great advice for a lot of you in your relationships and in your life. You should think sometimes, eh, a lot of the time, before you talk. Uh, it is that moment when we realize we've got something to say, but how we say it matters. And so when I say report consistently, what I mean is you've got to wait for the right opportunity to say what needs to be said. You ever heard the phrase, this product is so good it sells itself? That's a lie. Anybody who's ever been in sales will know that that's not true. You ever tried to sell insurance? Doesn't sell itself. You have to sell it. You ever tried to sell a car? Doesn't sell itself. You got to sell it. If you ever tried to sell anything, you've got to work to make the sale. It just doesn't sell itself. It, that's not the way it works. And so when it comes to your faith, it's the same thing. So let me give you some advice because as you're constant, consistently reporting who God is and what he's done, let God do his own advertising. See, we think we're, we're in the business of advertising for God. You're not. God did not hire you to be part of his ad firm. You don't have to advertise for God. Look at verse 1. It says, Now Jethro, the high priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything that God had done for Moses and for his people, Israel, and how God, the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. See, if you're doing the following thing right, people can see what God is doing in your life. You want people to notice what God's doing? Follow. And the better you follow, the more he's going to see, people will see what's going on. In this particular case, Jethro hears of all the things that God had done. And by the time he gets to Moses, he wants to hear more. He's ready to hear more. And so when he does, then the door opens up, and so you tell your story. See, for Moses, in verse 8 it says this, Moses then told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. I mean, I, can you imagine what it would be like to sit down and talk to Moses and ask him what it was like to stand before Pharaoh and hear those conversations with Pharaoh and describe what it was like to interact with him and the magicians that were there and uh, have the discussions that he and Aaron had and then uh, how, what it was like to lead the people? I mean, Moses had some stories to tell and all the stories revolved around the greatness of God. See, we always get wigged out. What am I going to say to someone about Jesus? Tell them your story. Tell them what God is doing in your life. Report consistently. This is what God is doing. This is how God is working. This is what God has done. And if you're following well, people are going to see that and they're going to notice it. Um, you don't have to give them a sermon. You just have to tell them. And when do you tell them? Well, when the time is right. So think of it this way. You're not God's recruiter. You're God's reporter. You're not running a recruiting office to get people to come know God. That's not my job. That's not your job. 
But you are a reporter. You're, about, you're there to tell people what God is doing and how he works. My job as a reporter to you is to come back and report what I've studied and what God's laid on my heart over the course of the week. But I can't sell you on God. And God didn't call me to be a salesman. He asked me to have honesty and integrity and I'm going to share with you the story. My job is to help share the story as it's revealed in Scripture and try to do my best to tell it. And in verse 8 it says, Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done. And then it adds, and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how God had saved them. See, Moses didn't sugarcoat it. He talked about how tough it was. Because it was in the toughness that God did the miracles, right? It was in the toughness that God did some amazing work. And so I, I want to make a statement to you, and, and, and this is a truth. It's, it's a truth for everybody in this room. So if you're taking notes, write this down. This is important. And it's simply this. I want to remind you of something. God has an amazing track record. And here's how I know that. Because God has gotten you through every single bad day you've ever had in your life. 100% of your bad days, God has gotten you through. How do I know that? You're here. I mean, the bad day that you had, God got you through it. And you're here. He hasn't missed yet. 100% of your bad days, God's been with you and he's gotten you through it. Case in point, you're here this morning. Isn't that amazing? That's something we ought to be thanking him for. That's something that if you had nothing else to report, you can report. Every bad day I've ever had, God's got me through it, and here I am today. Now, you might be in the midst of another bad day, and you may need to deal with the fact that what is it that's causing your bad day? And that may be a personal problem you have. I don't know. But at the end of the day, God's there. He's in the midst of it. He's going to help get you through it. And in verse 8 we read this, Jethro was delighted to hear about the good things that God had done for Israel. So Moses tells him. He tells him his story. He reports on what God has been doing. And Jethro is delighted to hear that. And in verse 11 it says, And now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. That's the moment. That's the moment when Jethro, and it clicks. Now I know. Now I know. How do we know that he knows then? Because that's what the Bible says. Now I know. Now I know that God is greater than all the other gods. Well, how did that happen? Well, he heard about what was going on. He talked to Moses. He heard the stories. He had seen it. And then Moses was explaining it and unpacking it even more. And Jethro comes away and he's thrilled to hear what's going on. And now I know, I know for sure now that your God, the God that you're following, the God that you're leading for is the God above all other gods. The God of Israel is greater than any of the other gods. Which led to this moment, the third R. Respond Courageously. Respond courageously. To quote Walt Longmire again, it's never easy to do the right thing, but it's always worth it. And when you're ready, you take the next step. After Jethro came to the realization that God is the God above all other gods, then he's ready to walk in obedience. Look down at verse 12. It says, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law, 
in the presence of God. In other words, they had that moment. The moment was there. It was real. And Jethro made sacrifices. Moses could have said, listen here, Buckaroo, if you're going to stay in my camp, you've got to make sacrifices. You're going to come to my tent. That's the way it's going to be. But he didn't. He modeled for Jethro what Jethro needed to see. He let his story tell the story. He let God do the work, and God did. And in the fullness of time, then Jethro becomes a very pivotal figure in this whole Old Testament pilgrimage that these guys are making. The Bible talks about how in the fullness of time God works. And on Wednesday evening, we're getting ready to start a series called Ghost. And... um. It's that time of year. We're talking about the Holy Ghost. How it works. I, and I was, I was studying for that. I'm, gonna, I'm getting ready to step outside of what I know to be true. And I'm going to speculate for a minute. And I always want to tell you up front. If I'm getting ready to say something that may or may not be biblical. I just want to give you my opinion. You can wrestle with it. Chew on it. And then decide whether I'm right or wrong. And that's fine. I don't mind that. Because I'm giving you a disclaimer before I start. I don't know this to be true. But I wonder about these things. And sometimes it's okay if you know what I wonder about. I go back to the beginning, right? And I know when Jesus shows up, you know, and I hear that story of the Holy Spirit, Mary, and all of a sudden she conceives and there's a child. Jesus shows up and he grows up and he lives his life. And I know about the miraculous birth. We'll celebrate that here in just a couple months. And we see him again at 12 years old in the temple. And we don't see him until he's 30 years old. 30 years old. In the fullness of time. And then when he's baptized, the moment when the Holy Spirit descends upon him and speaks. And then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And he fasts. And I wonder sometimes, because you know, the Holy Spirit then isn't working the same way the Holy Spirit works today, because Jesus promised a comforter and he would be with us, and we'll talk about all this on Wednesday evening, and how he fills us, and, and all those kinds of things. But in, in the midst of it all, I wonder when it was that Jesus was able to put it all together and do all the things that Jesus was here to do. Because see, if I'm an 18-year-old Jesus, I'm chomping at the bit. I mean, if I'm 18 years old, and I know I'm the son of God, and I got all this power surging through me. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm like Thor, man. I'm just, I'm ready to rip and roll, right? Apparently he doesn't. And the Bible doesn't tell us. I mean, is it possible that Jesus really didn't step into all of this and do all the things that we know Jesus did until he was 30 because it wasn't time and the Spirit hadn't, hadn't driven him to that moment yet? I mean, how many times do you think that he built in the carpenter shop a crutch for somebody who was crippled and thought to himself, I could heal them. How many caskets did he build in the carpenter shop to people, put people in knowing that I could raise them from the dead? See, at what moment did he know that it was time? At what moment was it okay? At what moment did all of that come together in that one miraculous moment where Jesus steps onto the pages that we have in the New Testament and start doing what he did? Well, all we know from Scripture, it was in the fullness of time. That's how God works. See, if God does that with his own son, 
He'll do that with you as children of the king. He'll take you and he'll use you. And in the fullness of time, it will come full circle. And whatever he's doing in you, whatever he's working in you, whatever he's trying to accomplish in you, that's when it happens. And when it does, you respond courageously. When it does, you step into the moment. For Moses and for Aaron, it was that moment where all of a sudden uh, Jethro makes that sacrifice and they welcome him in. And that, that meal that they have together, that breaking of bread together is symbolic for a lot of different reasons. But Jethro becomes part of Team Mo, if you will. And he starts riding with the posse. that's taking this group across the wilderness. And for you in your life and for me in my life, there's a moment that we come to grips with the fact that God just... When it's time, he does what needs to be done and he clicks all the pieces together. And that's when it works. There was a cowboy that needed to buy a horse and he couldn't find one in town. And the only person that had a horse for sale was the pastor in town. So the cowboy went to the pastor and said, can I buy the horse? And the pastor said, well, I hesitate to sell it to you. You might have trouble with it. The cowboy said, oh, I'm a good horseman. I'm a great horseman. Why would I have trouble with it? Pastor says, well, it's a Christian horse. Cowboy says, I didn't know a horse could be a Christian. Oh, this one is. This is a Christian horse. He goes, let me tell you, and then you can decide if you want him. To get the horse to go, you got to say, praise God. To get him to stop, you have to go, Hallelujah. pastor says I think I need that. And some of you are laughing because you heard the story different earlier today. I, what's wrong with you? I, I, you don't remember it right? Anyway um, and so he buys the horse because he needs the horse. Well he gets out there and he starts riding and he says okay well he goes giddy up it doesn't go and so he finally goes well praise God. The next thing you know the horse is moving. He goes praise God again. The horse begins to trot. Horse rides good, handles well. You know, one horsepower is working for him. He's traveling along, and next thing you know, there's a rattlesnake on the side of the road, and that snake kind of rattles his rattle and kind of bows up just a little bit, and that horse decides that he's going to bolt, and he's going to bolt forward, and the horse just goes off in this wild run. And the cowboy's riding, he's panicking, he's going, Whoa, whoa, whoa! And of course, the horse is just speeding up. I mean, he's just thundering toward the edge of a cliff. And he gets closer and closer to that cliff. And the cowboy's saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then he remembers to get the horse to stop. He has to say hallelujah. He goes, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And sure enough, the horse goes, Hoo! right at the edge of the cliff. Dust flies over the edge of the cliff. The cowboy wipes around and goes, praise God. Over he goes. <laughs> it was better 1115, wasn't it? Better? Long way to go. Um, <laughs> the point is this. There's a moment where it all comes together. And when it does, in that moment, you surge forward and you're all in. You can't rush it. You can't make it happen any quicker. It only happens in the fullness of time. But when it happens and God is at work, you know it's him. That's what it means to ride for the brand, the triple R brand. If you're ever going to live to call God, you've got to learn to do that. You've got to learn to respond that way. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful that 
you are a God who hears us and meets us at our point of need, that you're a God who always does exactly what you say you're going to do. And you work in just the ways you promised. We, as people, can be a stubborn lot. (laughs) And we like our way most of the time. And yet this whole series is about learning to do things your way and learning to find the way to live up to that brand, that high calling that you have placed in each of our lives. And so once again today, and some of those verses that are tucked into the story of Moses that we usually ignore and we don't pay a whole lot of attention to, we discover in him some characteristics that we all need in our lives. Well, for some, they've never made the decision to believe and trust and follow Jesus. And so if they haven't, then this is their day to decide. I pray that before they leave this morning, they would drop us a note and put it in the giving kiosk and simply say, I want to ask Jesus into my heart to give us a chance to follow up with him. To watch it online, the email address is now at the bottom of the screen. I, I pray, Heavenly Father, that they would simply just fire us an email and say, I want to accept Jesus as Savior. I have some questions about this thing called faith and give us a chance to come alongside of them and uh, encourage them and help them find a place to connect and grow. But Lord, for many in this room, we're trying to follow and we're trying to get it right. And we just get so impatient sometimes. We don't always understand. We don't get it. It doesn't always work the way that we think it needs to work. And in those moments, we have to learn to trust and be faithful and allow you, in the fullness of time, to do what needs to be done. Help us to do that this day. It's our prayer, our hope. Amen.